Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, and we're going to be reading today 13 through 52. So it's a beast, but um, you can't break some of these up. You've got to hear the whole thing, and then we're going to take it apart and, um, and uh, break it into a couple sections here. I'll be honest with you, as shared in the first service, sometimes messages come together just almost like by themselves, you know, and you just kind of start reading and start, and it just lays out by yourself. Other times, it's like slogging through slog. Is that a thing? I, um, and for whatever reason, this, this week, this message was, was like that. It just felt like uh, it, was a, it was a labor and to be honest, it was, I was discouraged. About down to the end of the week, I'm sitting in my office, I'm like, I don't, I don't even like this message. Like, I don't know what. But, uh, but you pray, and, and you know it's God's truth and God's word. And, and this was really cool. God led me in my devotions. I was in Colossians this week. And um, I just want to read this to you as I start. This is from Colossians chapter 2, so not Acts 13. But just let me read this to you, because this encouraged me uh, with this uh, content today. Uh, Paul writes this in Colossians, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. And here it is. Which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The riches of Christ. Paul was like, I strive for you to hear of Christ. Because that's where life is. That's where all wisdom and knowledge is in Christ. As I alluded to earlier, this sermon in Acts 13 is completely, totally about Christ as Paul walks through it, as he walks through Israel's history and prophecy. It's all pointing ahead to Christ, and he gets to the central point of his message, and he presents Jesus' rejection, innocence, and his death, and his burial, and his resurrection. That's the central part of the message. It's it. Paul wants them then to understand the significance of Christ and leaves with a question of how you're going to respond to it. There's a warning about rejecting Christ. You see the Gentiles who understand and they receive it with joy. They got it. They started to discover the wisdom, the fullness that comes from knowing Christ. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Christ. And uh, I'll just tell you right front, if you take your note sheet, uh, for those of you who like the note thing, if you take that, go ahead and take your pencil. And I just God just, this is the way it laid out this morning. And so God, take a, your pencil, and, and from Paul's proclamation of the person and work of Christ, demanding a response, that point on, put a giant X through it. Not because it's not born. We're not going to get there today. And I, that's just the way it went in the first service. And sometimes God does that, and we're, we're okay with that. But it actually works out all right because I was already looking ahead to next week, and we're only going into the first seven verses. 
And so, and it runs together. So we're just going to kind of run that part of, uh, that second part of this message into uh, the message for next week as Paul's missionary journey continues. We're going to focus on the first half of his message today. So I want to read this to you and ask that you, you stay with me, but we, I want you to hear the whole thing uh, together here in context so that we can plug these parts back in and you, you have the whole frame of reference of Paul's sermon here in Antioch of Pisidia. Acts 13.13, 13, Now Paul and his companion, companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. All those weird-sounding places. Remember last week? Um, he, he's on uh, the island of Cyprus. So that's where those places were. So now he set sail from Cyprus and sails, sails north, about 100, 150 miles, something like that, up to what we would know as modern-day Turkey. Okay? And that's where he is. And... Uh, when they arrived there in, in Perga and Pamphylia, John, John Mark, who had been assisting them, leaves them, Paul, or Luke writes, and returned to Jerusalem. But they, Paul and Barnabas, went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the Law and the Prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up, and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years... I love this part. For about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. (laughs) Verse 19, And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming... John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? (laughs) I am not he. No. But behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God... To us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree. Remember that terminology. They took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. 
And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that you would take your word this morning, your truth, these truths about the centrality of Jesus and his work. And press them on our hearts. God, you know each heart. You know the work that needs to be done. Whether it's a ministry of encouragement, exhortation, maybe correction, salvation, God. Someone for the first time placing their faith and trust in Christ. Whatever it may be this morning, God. A rediscovery of the joy of our salvation. Whatever it may be. May your spirit take your truth and do your work to build up your church. We ask this, God, not for us for you, for your glory, the glory of Jesus Christ and the furtherance of the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ever hear the, the phrase, it all comes down to this? 
Usually you often hear that in a sports setting, whether it's a field goal with two seconds left on the clock to take the lead and win the game or two outs in the bottom of the ninth. It all comes down to this, this pitch, that central thing, that most important thing. That if it doesn't happen, it's, it's, it's a failure. The game is lost, right? Sometimes it's, it's something we need to remember. Like, remember this one thing. That central thing you've got to remember so you don't mess something up. We were at Lake Ann uh, about a year ago uh, for the father-son retreat. And I was speaking there for that retreat, and uh, there was this guy, we were out shooting, uh, we were at the archery range, Zach and I and some other guys, and, um, and we had the camp bows and arrows, and it was a lot of fun. And I don't know, probably out here to maybe the sound booth, maybe where Ken's sitting back there is, is where the targets were. And so we're, we're shooting these things, and this guy comes, and he has like the mother of all bows. And, uh, and I, I'm looking at, I don't even know much about bows, but I'm like, oh, it looked like something that like Hawkeye would use. And uh, it was black. It was all tricked out. It had like these laser light scopes on it. And, um, and he, he looks at me and he goes, oh, man, he goes, hey, I, I want you, I appreciated the ministry this week. I, I, I want you to shoot my bow. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know? And like, I'm not kidding. Like we were shooting, like, like I said, about here to Brian. And uh, he came up there, and they, they put this fake deer probably three times that distance back in the woods. And this guy lined that thing up, and I'm not kidding, put it right through the middle of that. And, you know, all the guys that were all drooling. Breck, you would have loved this, man. I mean, it was awesome. So he asked me if I want to use this thing, and I'm like, yeah. You know, and <clears throat> so, like, he hands it to me. Now, he said to me about three or four times, whatever you do, just don't dry fire it. Don't dry fire it, right? Which, which you know, right? And we have archery tag here at church, and we're always telling the kids, don't dry fire the bows. Don't dry fire the bows, right? So he gives me this bow, and I'm like, and he said, how about, you know, before you put the arrow in, just, just pull it back. So I'm going to put part of this on him, okay? But he's like, you know, just pull it back, get a feel for it. Now, he had this, uh, the, this trigger. All right, does this have a name, Breck? What's the trigger thing called? Just the trigger thing? Okay, that works. All right, I'm talking to Breck. Breck's our outdoorsman here. Uh, he's a, uh, so, um, so he, he said, try to get a feel for it. Now, he didn't tell me that this was like a hair trigger. So I pull the thing back, and I get it, and my finger just barely brushes that trigger, and guess what happened? Vunk! I dry-fired his bow, and I felt awful. He was so nice and gracious. He's like, dude, it's fine. I'm like, no, I, right? I'm like, I ruined your bow. He's like, no, and he still let me fire it. I missed the deer, but I still, uh, I still got to fire it. It was, it was pretty cool, but I felt bad. Right, he told me like 14 times. I just exaggerated, but right? Uh, don't drive right. Whatever you do, don't drive right. It's the one, don't miss that. Don't drive right. Don't drive right. It's the one thing I had to get right, and I got it wrong. Right. So Paul's going with this message. Here's the one thing you have to get right. It all comes down to this. You miss a field goal with two seconds left in the game. You lose the game, life goes on, right? So it all came down to that, but there's not really consequences for that messing up. But with eternal life and our salvation, and Paul's message here, when Paul says it all comes down to this, to Jesus Christ, we cannot miss that one. We can't miss that central thing, that central truth, that it's all about Jesus. We have to get that right. We have to understand it's all about him. That's where Paul goes with this. So the big idea of our message here this morning is this. Jesus, 
the central figure in all of redemptive history must be trusted for our salvation and proclaimed in our mission. Jesus, the central figure, his work on the cross, the central act, must be trusted in for our salvation and proclaimed in our mission. So let's delve into the passage here. Now, we've got to tackle this first verse, and it kind of feels like it exists outside of the outline a little bit, all right? But it's here, and I want to make sure we at least acknowledge it, because this is going to come up again later in Acts 15. But the first thing we come to is when Paul and Barnabas get there, John Mark, who had been accompanying them on their missionary journey and aiding them, Luke tells us that John Mark leaves them. And he kind of just leaves it at that. He doesn't give us any more details than that. He just John Mark leaves. I don't, what do we make of this? I don't know. Was it too hard? Maybe. Had the glamour of traveling and hanging out with Paul and Barnabas worn off? I don't know. Was Barnabas a little upset that Paul was starting to take over some of the leadership over his cousin Barnabas? I don't know. Luke doesn't fill any of that in. We just know he leaves. As we get to Acts 15 a little bit later, we see from Paul's perspective, Paul viewed this in a negative way. Paul viewed this as, you deserted us. And Paul was, was so bothered by it, Paul didn't want to travel with him again. So in some way, shape, or form, this wasn't a good leaving. He left. We'll unpack that a little bit more later. But here's another thing to remember while we talk about this. We do see later on that even though he leaves and even though in Acts 15, Paul views it in a negative light. I love what we read later in Paul's ministry in 2 Timothy 4 as Paul's closing his letter to Timothy. You remember what he writes there? Bring John Mark with you because he is profitable to me for ministry. I love that. John Mark, the deserter, who Paul didn't want to travel with again. Later on in Paul's life, he sees John Mark as being profitable. We know from the gospel names, right? Matthew, Mark, he becomes the author of one of the gospels. Talk about a rebound, right? So I love that. So I think a couple takeaways from that. One, we see the reality. Ministry can be hard. Sometimes we can renege on our own commitments and back off when it gets hard, Okay? But the other thing we can take from this is God is a God of second chances too. And when it's been hard, if we've made a mistake, we can still rebound and be profitable for ministry and be used of God. I, I love kind of what operates under the surface there in the John Mark story. That's how this section starts. We'll come back to John Mark a little bit later in the book of Acts. As we unpack Paul's sermon, I want you to think about uh, the application on a couple different levels. Okay, here are the two levels of application I want you to think about today as we move through this. At one level, we learn from Paul the important components that must be part of the content of our missional proclamation, right? Mostly that it unpacks the biblical story and emphasizes the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as a means by which sinners are forgiven and find eternal life. We must emphasize that. And again, that's not new. It's not new as we've talked about it through the Acts series. It continues to surface. This is what we must proclaim. This must be part of our message. As we work with our children, as we work with our students, as we interact with our neighbors, people at school, in the workplace, we have to get to Jesus crucified, risen, the only means of salvation. So I want us to hear it at that level. The other level I want us to hear it at is this. I want us to hear Paul's words for ourselves as well today. Right? The warning, and again, we'll get to this a little bit more next week, but are you a scoffer? 
Are you one who's thought that you could remain neutral when it comes to Jesus? Paul's word speaks to you this morning. He says, no, you have to make a decision about Christ. You have to. You can't just leave him out there. And there's blessing and joy that comes from receiving Christ as your Savior. But there's consequences for rejecting him. And we need to hear it at that level. And maybe, for some of you, you're like, well, that's not me. I, I am a believer. But some of you sit here and you beat yourself up as well. I, I love the statement here where, where Paul says... Um, the law couldn't save you. Jesus did what you couldn't do for yourself. And, and he brings salvation. And he brings grace and forgiveness. And some of you sit here today, and even after we're saved, like we understand that we're saved by grace, but then sometimes we slip back into, after we're saved, to thinking we have to perform for God to continue to like us. And we sit there and, and we beat ourselves up because I still sin, I still do wrong things and God can't love me and God can't be pleased with me. And what this does, again, it calls us back and go, yes, that's the point. That's why the cross was necessary. Release, live in the freedom of Jesus and the grace and forgiveness he gives you. Stop trying to perform to earn God's favor and stop beating yourself up when you sin. Now, if we're repeatedly sinning and habitually sinning and we don't care about it, that's a problem. But listen, God's grace continues to cover us. And some of you need to live in that and find that joy. That's why the Gentiles respond with joy at the end of this passage because they grasp the gospel message that we are saved. Salvation has come to us. And they respond in joy and they proclaim the message. And some of you need to hear Paul's words today to be encouraged that way. So let's think about that. So here are some of the nuts and bolts of Paul's message here in this ministry in Antioch. The message continues in Antioch of Pisidia. So they arrive in Perga, which is a few miles up uh, a river, the river Sestras, there in southern uh, Turkey. And it's a few miles up. The ships could come in from the Mediterranean and navigate up to this city. Uh, that's where John Mark leaves them. Uh, Paul and Barnabas then travel over 100 miles to Antioch, which is about uh, 3,600 feet above sea level. So this was not an easy journey, but they travel and they get to Antioch, which is, um, yeah, quite an effort to get there. Uh, Pisidian Antioch distinguishes it from the other Antiochs. There was at least 16 other cities with the name Antioch during this time. Where There's Antioch of Syria. We've already been there. There was 14 more besides these two. It's kind of like Springfield, right? Every state has a Springfield. Some states have two Springfields, right? So Springfield of Ohio, Springfield of Michigan. This was Antioch of Pisidia. So this is where they find themselves. It's in the province of Galatia. And that's significant, and I wish we had time to, to, to develop. You can start to see some of the seeds even here in Antioch of Pisidia. This is the place that Paul's later letter of Galatians would have been written to. And some of the things that Paul is dealing with there. So this is the church of Galatia. It would have gone and circulated around this region. And it would have included this church here um, in Antioch. So Antioch of Pisidia is where the mission continues of this first missionary journey. The content of Paul's gospel mission, the content of his sermon here, ultimately pointed to Christ. And we've emphasized this already multiple times this morning. He's invited to preach in the synagogue. It's no surprise that someone of Paul's stature would be invited to speak in the synagogue. They probably knew 
uh, of, of Paul, or if, if they didn't, when they heard that this was a, a rabbi who had been trained in Jerusalem under Gamaliel, it's no wonder they would have asked him to come and speak. And so he does. They invite him after the reading of the scriptures to come up and speak, and he does. And it says, Paul stands up and he motions with his hand. I wish, he knew, I, wish I knew what that motion was, because I would use it in every sermon. I bet it would be cool. Like, Paul, I don't, you know, was it like this? Or, you know, like, bring it on. I don't, I don't know. But Paul motions with his hand. He stands up. He assumes a position of, of authority and speaking in the synagogue. And then he lets it rip. And he just gives him Jesus. Right? He gives him Jesus. Now, there's a lot of summary statements in Acts about Paul and Barnabas and about the speaking of the gospel. And they went and they preached and they taught. I think this passage right here gives us a pretty good glimpse into what the basic content would have been in all of Paul's sermons as he arrived in a city for the first time, especially as he went and spoke in a synagogue. I think right here we get, we get the outline that Paul probably used pretty regularly. Um, in a brief form, of course, but um, and this is probably how Paul started uh, his messages in every new city. So, uh, what does he talk about? This is where he goes. Number one, God unfolded his plan of redemption through Israel centuries before Jesus came. God unfolded his plan of redemption through Israel centuries before Jesus came. We see this in verses 17 through 25. God chose our ancestors. He made them great. He led them out right away. Right away. God is presented as the great initiator and rescuer. God choosing. God chose. It's going to be highlighted again, a little bit different terminology, but in verse 48, this concept of God being the initiator of salvation. We see this in verse 48. We'll get to next week. But God chose. Choosing is covenant language. God is the covenant initiator. Listen, this is really good news for us. We know from Scripture, we know from our own personal experience, right? We would not have pursued God in and of ourselves. Wouldn't have done it. We are rebels at heart. We are sinners. We resist. We run. Paul says this in Romans 3, right? We all resist God. God is the great initiator, and it's a really good thing that he came running towards us. He came running. He chose Israel, and he continues to run after us. The beautiful picture of who God is. So we see that. We see then that God is sovereignly involved throughout Israel's history. Paul talks about the, uh, the time in Egypt and the exodus and the wilderness wanderings and the conquest and the establishment of Saul and later David. God is the subject of every action here. God is the mover. God is orchestrating all of this. I love this because what this communicates to us is that God is intimately involved with people. God is intimately involved with his creation. He is not indifferent and far off. He cares about his creation. He is near, and he orchestrated the events of history to formulate a plan so that we could be rescued from our sin. This is what God does. And he unfolded all of it in his way and in his time. Just look at the Exodus example. I love this passage here uh, from Exodus. 
The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and so on and so forth. And it ends by saying, I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Do you catch the language in here that describes God? I've seen, I've heard, I know, I've come down to deliver them, to bring them up. This is God moving towards us. Listen, I had a grandpa his entire life, and I think part of it was because of his involvement in, in, in the Second World War, and, and he would talk about this. He, he told me, Craig, what I've seen, I hated, I killed. God could never, never forgive me for what I did. Right? No. God is a God who pursues. These were rebellious people. Moses was a murderer. God came. He pursues. He loves people. He wants to rescue us. He wants to rescue you. And he's acted throughout history to fulfill this plan. I love this. But Paul goes on. I laughed about it here just a minute ago in verse 18. God patiently maintains his activity and redemptive plan despite Israel's rebellion. I love that little statement there. He put up with them for 40 years in the wilderness. He put up with them. He still kept working. This language of putting up with, it means to put up with someone's manners or moods. Immediately thought of Kathy. No, not in that way. No, the other way. <laughs> my wife who puts up with me, right? My moods, my actions, my manners. She puts up with it. My dirty clothes on the floor. She puts up with it, right? God puts up with us. And what I love is that he continued to put up with Israel to the point where he even sends his own son to a people he knows are going to reject and crucify him. How about putting up? Are you glad that God puts up with? I am. I would have given up on me a long time ago. I would stop putting up with me. Sometimes I don't even like me, right? God puts up with. He continues to unfold this plan of redemption, even given Israel's rebellion and stiff-necked nature. Hmm. This is good news. God continued to work. And the way he continues to work, you see in verses 22 through 25, is by raising up a Savior from David's line. Right? He raised up David to be their king. For he said, I found someone after my own heart. In verse 23, of this man's offspring... God brought to Israel a savior. God raises up David, this king. The Old Testament was clear that one would come from David's line to reign over the whole earth and bring salvation. Again, catch Paul's, Paul's thing here, what he's doing, right? It's always been about Jesus. It's always pointed to Jesus. These are the prophecies that Paul has in mind. 2 Samuel 7, when your days are fulfilled, this is God speaking to King David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. So now he's talking about Solomon, David's son, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. 
He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of many. (laughs) He's going to put up with them. My steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. A promise in the Old Testament. Another one in Psalm 89. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. All the promises pointing to this king coming from David's line. Jeremiah 23. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The promises. Paul saying, listen, Israel, God promised this long ago, these promises of a Savior, of an eternal King who would make all things right. He's here. He arrived. He came. It's Jesus. The significance of this is this. If Jesus is not from David's line, he can't be the promised one. It makes a difference who he was descended from. And he connects the dots for us. Right? This is, I haven't, it's been over a year. I haven't used a good Lord of the Rings illustration for a long time, so you wouldn't make fun of me anymore. Right? But, uh, right? but this is where it all turned, right? In Lord of the Rings, right? When, when Aragorn, that was kind of one of the underlying themes, like he's of the kingly line. And once they understood that, that suddenly set things in motion. He could lead the armies, he could defend uh, the, the city. It all just came like, okay, it matters. Right? Star Wars fans in here, right? I remember when, when Empire Strikes Back came, back, uh, came out, back in like a long time ago. And I remember like when everyone's like, oh, do you know that Luke is Darth Vader's son? It's like, whoa. And then you saw like, wow, that, right? Once you made that connection, like, oh, he's, no, he's a Jedi. He's got the force, right? It, it mattered who he was descended from. That's what, Paul's doing here. This is him. It matters who he's descended from. These promises to David are fulfilled now in Jesus. And he goes to John the Baptist. Paul does here in a sermon, and he says, John, the great prophet, affirms this. John was well respected, his word was highly valued. And uh, Paul says, this is the one John was talking about. People ask John, are you him? And John's like, no, no. There's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoe. The validation that Jesus has come. Everything pointing to Jesus, right? So in presenting these truths, Paul roots the coming of Jesus in the gospel. In the Old Testament, he connects the dots He demonstrates the continuity of the Old and New Testaments. Paul masterfully ties the story of Jesus into Israel's history. This continuity for Paul flows easily from the Old Testament to John the Baptist to Jesus in the New Testament. Everything was always pointing to Jesus. Christianity is not a new invention. Faith in Jesus Christ is not the product of some human being 
coming up with some creative way for us to go to God. This has been in place for centuries, unfolding for centuries. It screams against the, 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 the philosophies and religions of the day, the newest. This is the way to God. This is the way. This is the way to find spirituality. This has stood for the centuries. God has unfolded it for centuries. This is his king. Jesus was always the goal. Jesus is the answer. Nothing else that we come up with. It was always about Jesus. Paul's aim is to show how everything climaxed in Jesus. God has systematically unfolded his purposes in history. The hope of the Old Testament is completely fulfilled in Jesus. So Paul is giving us this overarching perspective so that we can see that. Because our perspective gets clouded. We hear all of these things. The Jews heard all these things. They were confused. The Roman religions. And what Paul does is he lifts to give an overall perspective. Uh, Rusty and I did a football game uh, last Thursday night at, at North Point. And it was their first varsity game of the year on their new field. And um, their bleachers and press box weren't done. Shocker, right? Supply chain. Um, so th- that wasn't done. So Rusty and I had to run clock and down in distance from the goal line at the field level. Anyone who knows anything, that's impossible. Uh, you, can't have, you have no perspective of the field. You can kind of see the refs every once in a while when they're waving. And the cheerleaders keep getting in the way. You know, um, and it was just, it was really hard. And there's a couple times like Rusty and I looking at each other going like, I don't, I don't even know where the ball is. Um, you know, we're just trying our best. Um, what saved us is that up in the second floor of the school building was Mr. Molda with a walkie-talkie. And we were completely dependent on Mr. Molda. Scary, I know, right? But, uh, but no, Brian's up there and he was the one relaying the information to us. It's on the 32-yard line. It was a gain of four. Tackled by this number. The distance to go is this. And, and if we didn't have that, I would have just been guessing. Yeah, hey, what, what number sounds good to you? How old are you? Let's put that one up there. You know, I don't, um, right? But the perspective of someone who was seeing the whole picture so we could get it right. That's what Paul's doing here. Here's the whole picture so that you can get it right. Shows us Jesus. God has been acting in history. He's not inactive. There's great meaning and not hopelessness. As we see all the negative in the world around us, tracing the hand of God for these historical events reminds us that there's hope. It's Jesus. On July 15th, 1944, Anne Frank entered this in her diary. It's utterly impossible for me to build my life on a foundation of chaos, suffering, and death. I see the world slowly being transformed into a wilderness. I hear the approaching thunder that one day will destroy us too. I feel the suffering of millions. And yet, when I look up at the sky, I somehow feel that everything will change for the better. That this cruelty will end. That peace and tranquility will return once more. We look up at the sky, the overarching story, we see that Jesus is involved in history. That God has been unfolding a plan to give us hope and peace. And so this is where Paul goes. I'm going to ask Tom to come up in just a moment here to lead us in worship. The content of Paul's gospel mission ultimately pointed to Christ. This is what Paul gets to, the central part of his message. The work of Christ, his rejection, death, burial, and resurrection, is the non-negotiable central necessity of salvation. Right? Salvation has come to us. Paul says. What he's referring to with us is the family of Abraham and all who fear God. Not just the Jews anymore. 
And this message of hope is bound up in the crucified Christ. These are the truths of the crucified Christ as our substitute on the cross. This is what we must understand and believe for salvation. This is what we must proclaim. We see that Jesus was rejected, Paul proclaims here, because the peoples and the rulers of Jerusalem failed to recognize who Jesus was, verse 27, or understand the prophetic word about the coming of Jesus, even though it was read to them every Sabbath. That speaks to us. You could grow up here at Forest Hills Baptist Church, sit in these seats every Sunday, go to Ignite, go to youth group, and hear the word all the time. That means nothing unless you own Jesus for yourself. The people of Israel, they didn't get it. They heard it their entire life, their entire life, and they didn't get it. They didn't see who Jesus was. Don't let that be you. Christ redeems us from the cross or from uh, the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us by dying on a tree. So remember that terminology, death on a tree, right? That's Old Testament terminology. Deuteronomy says, cursed is everyone who dies on a tree. Jesus took the curse, our curse. He was cursed for us. Paul picks this up in Galatians. You should be cursed. But Jesus took that curse on the cross. In your place. Our last point this morning, Tom, why don't you come up? The person and work of Christ fulfills God's promises. This is where we'll start next week. The person and work of Christ fulfills God's promises. But let me just summarize it with this today as we close. He then goes to this prophecy to David and this talk about King David. He says, David died and saw corruption. But the promised one that would come from David doesn't see corruption. Here's the point Paul's making. David fulfilled his purpose and died. David can't do any more. He's dead. He's decayed. Jesus never saw corruption. The implication of that is this, is that Jesus is then able to continue his work of salvation. Jesus' work is not frustrated. Jesus can continue to work and perform as your high priest to rescue you and save you from your sin. He's faithful, continuing to accomplish his purpose. That purpose is the salvation of your soul. Some of you need to turn to Jesus Christ, understanding that he can take your sin away and offer forgiveness, clothe you with his righteousness, and save you. The message of salvation is for you. Because the high priest continues to do his work. For those of you who sit here and you beat yourself up because I sinned again, I can't be good enough, I keep failing, the message screams at you that Jesus has not seen corruption. He faithfully continues to minister on your behalf. The blood of Christ is applicable to you. Live in the joy of that. The work of Christ. Everything pointed to him because he's the ultimate answer. The one thing, you get that right, you find the joy and peace forgiveness, salvation. That is the part you can't miss. It's all about Jesus. Tom.